0: Simplicity takes the most courage, and so cutting back the line and making sure that you are really saying what you want to say to the customer in the fewest amount of products is probably like the the highest level of consciousness as a designer of a of a shopkeeper. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Going Deep There
1: in Watson. My guest today, Brandon Gerback, is the CEO and co-founder of Steel City. Steel City is a lifestyle and apparel brand that is obviously based and founded out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but has reached an audience far-reaching, all the way to Japan, in fact. Brandon shares a little bit of that in today's interview. He also shares the origins of the company, the steps they've taken to open a second location, And the thoughtful nature of great design. I've talked in the past about stores or brands that have soulfulness to them and how hard that is to create. Brandon has accomplished it, and I think you'll understand why after listening to this interview. Here is Brandon Gerback. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Brandon, thanks for coming in. I'm excited to be talking with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. So uh, before we kind of get into the, the nuances of building a brand and a, and a business and all this other stuff, I just want to you know kind of plant a flag for people about Steel City, current state of the business. It's a little over 10 years old. Can you give us a, a framework for the success, the scale, what, what you have accomplished so far?
0: Yeah, um, so the first 10 years is, 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 has been kind of a, a, just a roller coaster. Um, my wife and I started it in our garage really standard entrepreneurial story of of kind of just not really vibing with your day job and um, trying to figure out what would be a good business to start. And um, we grew it out of our our garage and into a a little space and the space got bigger and more employees, more employees. And so um, we opened a storefront um at year five and so now at year 10 we're opening our second location currently and we're just growing e-com and and retail and and just uh just yeah small business life do you describe it as an apparel brand a lifestyle brand a shirt t-shirt
1: company like how how would you convey at least what it's trying to be and what it is
0: yeah we don't really have any fancy terms we just kind of just say it's a clothing company you know anything that's apparel or clothing we we kind of um we handle. So, um, but I'd say our bread and butter really is is graphic t-shirts and, and graphic design. So we make uh, some of our uh, clothing from scratch. Uh, our, our t-shirts are made in America. But um, yeah, uh, I'd say we get our core revenue from graphic design. And the
1: brand is, you know, the brand Steel City is basically synonymous with Pittsburgh. And you have a lot of, you know, Pittsburgh iconography, Pittsburgh-based designs. That's a really interesting place to land. I'd love to unpack that more because it's it's basically like a, like I said a synonym for the city, and yet you're also trying to establish like your own identity as a company within that moniker. So so take me through that thinking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it started you know with coming up with the name for it was just I didn't know what kind of entrepreneur I wanted to be. I just knew that I wanted to, to have my own own business. And so I started with what I knew. And um, so I liked graphic t-shirts and I knew a ton about my hometown and its history. So it just seemed natural to, to name it after that. Um, but over the course of the last 10 years, it's kind of not been like for Pittsburghers. It's been a brand from Pittsburgh where we've broadened it to just talk about core fundamental things of like work ethic and being an entrepreneur and kind of that that grit and determination and finding stories that we can tell through t-shirts and And so, yeah, Steel City just has has not been so much about just another name for Pittsburgh, but it's just been uh, something that kind of defines like an industrial type of mindset and work ethic. And so we try to bake that into all of our designs and uh, copy and the way we talk about what we do is just that, yeah, we are Steel City, but it's just, it's kind of like we're a reflection of our ancestors and the people that built America.
1: And it's clear how much thought goes into the not just designs but the entirety of what you guys are crafting and it's really it's actually very similar we had uh uh, tj from commonplace coffee here and there's a similar experience that i have interacting with your brand as i do with a commonplace coffee where i can't put my finger on it and say it's because they had that sign or because they did that specific thing that's what makes it feel soulful that's what makes it feel well designed which i guess is kind of the definition of good design right but you, your, your shop and your products inhibit that quality. How have you pursued that, or, or what would you what would you point to as the the genesis point for being differentiated in that way? Because there's there's a lot of coffee shops out there, like commonplace, and there's a lot of t-shirt businesses out there that don't feel like Steel City.
0: Yeah, um, I I know T J well, and uh he's a he's a very genuine guy, and and so using him as an example, and and. And I hope it comes through, um, like you say, with our clothing. I think really what it is, it's just about like we don't try to to be really anything like we don't think like, hey, okay, today we're going to try to make a cool T-shirt or we're going to try to make this brand cooler. It's just we kind of have a core ethos that we want to tell stories and whatever kind of lights us up. That's what we're going to design around and that's what we're going to put on a shirt. And if you like it, that's great. And if you like stories like that, you're going to like this. And, oh, yeah, by the way, we also sell it on a T-shirt. So it's really the story is what drives. We don't really ever chase fads or coolness or anything like that. Um, we're really just interested in telling the stories. And so that's kind of our heart and, and just not trying. And so with TJ, um, you know, spending time with him, I sometimes forget that he sells coffee because I think what he does is really he's about community and sharing um, like moments with people and the venue and like the medium that he uses as coffee. It's just to bring people to the actual like literal table, but also that this is the what people connect over. And so I'm hoping that our shirts do that. Um, but, yeah, I think um, it's just really just having heart and putting yourself into whatever you do. And I think people appreciate that
1: and you know even just some of the monikers uh that are that are on some of the shirts they're conversation starters but then some of the it's like maybe a uh something historical and somewhat hidden or less well known about the history of Pittsburgh like you said as a student of the city that's conveyed in the shirt and can become that topic of conversation or a point of commonality with someone
0: yeah uh, some of it's unintentional some of it just it it just kind of like oozes out um but uh, one thing that i've i've been really proud of that happened um that i didn't intend was is that uh, our shirts have become a, a source of a lot of high fives in the airport <laughs> and and cuz i i we have this thing called a fact tee that we put out and so we just put our basic hand set fonts on a shirt but it's just like Statements that make me laugh, or things that I've said to my kids, and, we put on, and so um, usually they come out around Super Bowl time because it's like whatever one-liner I have about that year's Super Bowl. And we did like as long as New England loses, and but uh, we got so many tags on Instagram and on Twitter of like somebody bought me a beer because I was wearing that in Dallas's airport, or <laughs> I was in Phoenix, Arizona, and someone gave me a high five waiting in, in, to, in the check-in line. And so it just became that, like, uh, you know, that that people just resonate with with something that we're feeling at the time. And so I think that we have this ability to, um, you know, we can be a little bit of a voice on a T-shirt. And, and, oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. He just printed it on a shirt. And so I think that's, you know, kind of breaking down what we do. I think that's really all we do is just uh, we're just saying what you want to say. We're just printing it on a shirt.
1: And from a experimentation, just like like actually the, the execution of retail standpoint, um, I'm less well-versed in retail, so you can treat me like an absolute numbskull. In terms of the kind of cadence, you know, drop culture is a thing now. We, you know, we have a drop every week, every month, whatever, and there's also the ability then if there isn't an enormous amount of upfront investment to actually create the inventory, to turn it over, but to also run experiments and say, oh, this is resonant. Oh, people like this, more of this, less of that. Can you take me through how that works internally at Steel City?
0: Yeah. I, it's honestly one of the the main problems that we've been struggling with for the last uh, three or four years. I think we've, we finally kind of got it nailed down, but um, you know, it was kind of, an issue where we didn't know when to kind of cut something, when to, to bring new stuff in, when to add, when to subtract. And, and we had to learn a, a, a lot about the science of retail too, because it's not something where it, there's a, a great university down the street that you can go to and, and they can teach you how to be a shopkeeper. Like that's, that's tough. And you got to understand your customer and the, their tastes and how many shirts they want to buy in, at, a, at a, at a time and, What's your average order value? So a lot of those terms, you know, were, were lost on, on us at, at the beginning because we started this in, in a garage. We didn't have any formal training. So finding the cadence of, of when to drop new designs. Do you drop five at a time? Do you drop 50 at a time? What's the customer's appetite? is a lot of trial and error but one thing that we've always tried to do is maintain like our independence um we've sold to big box retailers before we've sold to like urban outfitters and we sold to independent boutiques in japan that was actually one of our first clients we were actually bigger in japan than we were at pittsburgh at one point. wow yeah that's a it's a wild story um but we kind of had to figure out um on our own what worked for us because when we were working with bigger places, they dictated to you how much they wanted and, and what they wanted to, to drop in on, what colors. And, and that just didn't seem like we had complete creative control and freedom to, to go directly to the customer. So we stopped that. We went direct DTC um, and, you know, that's, uh, that's been great, but it it has been a learning process and it's not something that's easy, but you, and it's not something that really somebody can teach you because it's your business and you've got to figure out what your customer wants from you. So,
1: yeah, it's not like there's some rule of like, this is how many items should be in a drop for every product or even every clothing company. It's right. going to be specific to, Hey, the type of person that orders from a, a store like us is looking for a collection like this. And we've only come to that through all sorts of trial and error.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and cutting it back, I mean, I think simplicity takes the most courage and so cutting back the line and making sure that you are really saying what you want to say to the customer in the fewest amount of products is probably like the the highest like level of consciousness as a designer of a of a shopkeeper is is really, you know, being able to say, "Look, I'm going to eliminate all the options." that could distract you. And I'm going to just focus in on this core product that I'm the most proud of that I think you're really going to love. Because sometimes you can, you can ask a customer to burn too many like thought calories, you know, yeah. when you have so many options, I think a customer will say that they want that. But when they're actually like looking through your stuff and they're going through your, it's just like, oh, I can't decide. I love these. and I love these. And then 20 minutes later you got your arms full of stuff and you're like well I can't buy all of this and then you get kind of tired out and you're like also I want a coffee and also I want to go to lunch and I'll just think about it and maybe I'll order online. So but what I want to do is my ideal uh, thing is for a customer to come in and and see that one shirt that they love and that's the one they're going home with and, and it's great. So if I can eliminate distractions for them and focus on core product that's that's my ideal
1: simplicity takes the most courage that is a good one i'm gonna i'm gonna i'll credit you but i'm gonna recycle that <laughs> for sure um i honestly i think that that transcends retail because as, even as a service provider if i say yes i'll do anything that's actually very common in marketing agencies oh you need this yes we can do that too and meanwhile i'm gonna go hire a contractor i'm gonna go like google how to do it in order to create that create that full suite of service as opposed to saying hey this is what we do we do it very specifically better than the competition and we'll execute for you. If you need something else, I'll direct you in some other.
0: Yep. That's it. That's powerful. Yeah. Everybody's hungry for, for money, but I think, um, you know, the, the biggest thing is being able to, to be confident in who you are and what you're good at. And look, I'm not good at a lot of things and, and I don't want to do something that I can't knock out of the park. So I'm sure I could do a lot of things for you, but I just want to be able to wow you and impress you with like the one or two things that I'm great at. And, um, So I think, uh, but yeah, that, that takes a lot of like knowing about who you are rather than like, am I enough? I think that's sometimes where entrepreneurs get stuck, where designers get stuck is that, do I have enough colors? Do I have enough designs? Oh, I I don't, I want to make sure that I have enough to make people happy. And I think it comes from a very good and, and pure place, but also like, confident that like, this is enough, they're going to love it. And then I'm going to make sure that I give them a reason to love it and make sure that I communicate why I loved it first and why you're going to love it. So I don't need five, I just need one. And I need you to love that one.
1: And I love that, you know, the burning of, of calories is something that's basically talked about with different good copywriting, which is, it's really simple. I didn't have to like ascertain what you were trying to say with those words, like, got it, I understand who it's for, what it's about, what's going on there. And even further, the the value of curation, really what you're talking about like in being a shopkeeper, is I've curated the best I can find as opposed to just trying to force as much into the store for you as possible. I'm actually doing you that service in addition to procuring or making the thing, in addition to you know making it proximate and getting it easy to access. It's the actual effort that's gone into, not this, that, on your behalf.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I get so frustrated when I go into like the Apple store now and I I used to be so excited when the new iPhones came out and I could care less anymore because I'm thinking like, okay, the iPhone 15, 13, whatever the heck we're on right now is that there's an X Max and an SX Pro and an SE and a, a whatever. And I have to sit there and go through the spec sheet and like, okay, what's different? Why do I want this? When there was just one iPhone, that was it. And it was just so easy and you could just focus in on this is sexy this is what it does this is what I want rather than trying and I know why they're doing because they want a different price points they want to hit a mass market. that's all fine and good but then you lose that like that style and that, that that's it's it's lost a little like the the bravado and and I think that that's so f- you don't get that too many times in life to find a product that where people feel that about so you really have to make sure that you guard that um you know and you don't let the, the corporate machines steal that from you.
1: But it's also in terms of conjuring the courage needed to pursue mm. that simplicity is the fact that most firms won't do it. Most most firms, individuals, teams, whatever, won't have the courage, won't have the confidence or the willingness to go pursue that simplicity because it requires saying, I have a very specific point of view. I have a very specific perspective. You know, people like us do things like this in a very kind of pointed way that, just isn't common.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing, especially um, in any type of e-com business that where you can reach a massive amount of people at any given time, people who are money focused, and, and it's really no, no shade to them that, hey, if you don't do this, if, if you don't have this option, and if you don't have all of these colors or whatever your option is, you're going to miss this market and uh while i think that's very true i think multiple things can be true in in one statement but i i think you focus on what you're not winning i i think some of that is well we're going to lose this market or we're not going to lose this rather than what do you win well i win that yeah i may not be perfect for everybody but at least i'm clear for my core group of people and i think that's always been kind of my philosophy is i'm not trying to be perfect i'm just trying to be clear so if i can make that for my customer that they know where I stand, they know where I'm what my product's all about. That's a win for me. So
1: I want to go back to the Japan thing. You guys were yeah. bigger in Japan than anywhere else. Tell me more about that. That's
0: true. So on our we had a, a a little brand that we when we first started, it was like our tester brand. It was called Deadberry Dead and we had started it in the back of a skate shop and that was just kind of me cutting my teeth in Photoshop. And I met this guy and he told me about this show in Las Vegas called Magic. And um, it was a place where all the biggest brands in the world came to a convention center and you set up the stall. It was crazy expensive. I think it was like $6,000 for just the table. But if you wanted to see if your clothes were any good, you had to buy a table, you had to set up shop and sell. um, and, And urban outfitters would come through, Nordstrom's would come through and judge your line. Well, I had uh, uh, maybe about a dozen of these shirts that I had made, um, but I had also kind of been going back and talking about what I had said before of selling what I knew and working on some Pittsburgh designs and uh, some hometown pride things. And so I just threw those in my suitcase and took those with me and kind of like buried them in the back of the bar rack. And so I didn't know that Japan was one of the biggest consumers of like, American vintage uh, things. And and I quickly found out that they were very passionate about um, like hometown Pittsburgh or hometown small town stuff. And Pittsburgh was like ideal to them because we had such a vast history and like sports teams and and things like that. So that's where my like first 10 T's for Steel City were all based on. And so I was trying to sell these like 20 or whatever that I had. And I started to notice that like we were getting orders from these boutiques in mass amounts that were from, for just these like random Pittsburgh teas that I just, they were a a secondary thought. And, um, when we actually came home and totaled up the orders, like steel city had blown this other brand away because the Japanese market loved it. So we were selling way more in Japan at that time. So yeah, I can tell my kids that like, yeah, your dad was big in Japan at one point. Nice. (laughs) Interesting.
1: So Another part of that, I was, I was trying to back into it before the conversation, what I think might be attributable to, like you're saying. Made in Pittsburgh, not exclusively for Pittsburgh, is the fact that you know people always say that Pittsburgh Steelers fans travel so well for different games all across the country, and it's the reality is is that the steel industry and the kind of city itself had a, a a downswing in the 70s into the 80s, and a lot of people had to leave Pittsburgh for employment for for economic reasons, and so now they live elsewhere, but they still identify as Pittsburghers, and they can still pull their towel out and go to the game when the Steelers come to town. So that also has to contribute to it to some way in the sense that there's these Pittsburgh expats that, you know, have landed elsewhere and still want things that tie them to home, or they can wear as they're, you know, traveling around the airport and, you know, conveying one of the things that makes up their identity.
0: Yeah, it's it's a strange, like, a phenomenon, honestly. Um, I talked to a historian who uh, works for the Post-Gazette, and I asked him, Hey, is this normal for other cities to have like this much history and to be kind of connected into so much of like kind of what goes on? Because it may just be like my perspective, like running a a brand that's based in Pittsburgh and, and knowing a few people that are out doing things in the world. But it always seems that Pittsburgh sometimes has a way of like integrating itself into any like big thing that's happening and he and he came back and he's like no man and he's like i've lived a bunch of places and i know histories from a lot of different cities and this is completely unique to this city and um and and it's it's crazy like we have different customers that uh, that are movie stars and celebrities the creative director for star wars now is a is a yinzer and um the, one of the stars of, of the new Star Wars show is from from Pittsburgh Ming-Na and her family owns uh, a Chinese restaurant right down the street from uh, our store. So it's just like the Pittsburgh circle is very vast and, and wide. And I think that it's it's one of those things where like Pittsburghers just have like a, I think a work ethic that drives them to the top of their industries. And and it's like nowhere else really. And um, it's, it's nuts that... Um, yeah, I think when you when you're from Pittsburgh, and you're in that orbit, it just it, it never leaves you. And you just get really you get more passionate when you leave. And you want to connect back to, to your roots. And um, uh, somebody told me the, the, the craziest thing about the Pittsburghers greatest fear. Well, I'll rephrase that they came up to me out of nowhere. And they said, Hey, you're the guy from Steel City, right? Yeah. Do you know what the Pittsburghers biggest fear is? That's how they started the conversation. Like, and I was kind of like taking, that's a good hook. Yeah. I mean, I should write an email or like an email or something. I would open that email. (laughs) Right. So like immediately I was engaged to this person, engaged to whatever this person was saying. And, um, they said that, um, well, it's easy. It's that they, you greatest fear is that they would go somewhere specifically on vacation and, everybody around them would not know that they're from Pittsburgh. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Actually, it, it's, it's crazy because then they took out their, their phone and t- showed me like a picture. I think there was their daughter in Ocean City and they had to bring a, a flag for the hotel ba- balcony. They had to bring beach towels. They had to have like at least their suitcase packed with a bunch of our shirts. They had to have like bag uh, stickers on their bags. So it was literally like, yeah, they, they had to make sure that every given moment of the vacation, there was at least some representation of where they were from. So it's, it's, it's a very, uh, that runs deep for sure.
1: Absolutely. You mentioned work ethic in that answer. I want to uh, touch on that and the way you've thought about building out your team. So I listened to an interview, I was, I was present for an interview that you gave uh, a couple years ago and you talked about Steel City University and uh, actually very similar to another past guest, JD Ewing, who has a kind of internal book club at his office furniture wholesaling company that is a way of not only developing the team and making sure they have different kind of business acumen but if everyone's reading the same thing you start to get on the same wavelength have the same language so to speak so tell me about that how it works how you thought about it
0: yeah um you know my uh, my wife's family uh, is from erie and they are all involved in the ge corporation which is huge or was huge um in erie and I, they always kind of talked about like their corporate culture was that, hey, if you get uh, you work up in the in the company, they'll send you the, to school for free and they'll pay t- for you to either further your education or finish your education or whatever. And I thought, oh, that was that was really nice that they invested in that. Uh, but for me personally, I've always felt as an entrepreneur that college is a waste of time. Um, so I've really never had any, you know, love or, or passion for four year universities or college um but what I do love is, is education, and I think that uh, obviously that that's paramount and that's the only way anything grows is by putting new information and new data into your brain. So I didn't want to offer just, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll pay a ton of money to send you to Penn State or wherever, so why don't we get um, the knowledge and just kind of mainline that and, and just cut out the middleman and let's just get the books and let's talk about it ourselves. There's a million books on any subject you want to know, so let's figure out what problems we're kind of facing in our company Let's figure out where we want to go, what's our core pillars of, of what we want to be about, and let's find books about it, and I'll pay you to, to read a book. And, I mean, I'm saving money like crazy rather than paying Penn State, uh, you know, uh, whatever credit costs now. But, yeah, it's just it's a way of, of, of valuing employees. It's a way of just simplifying communication and um, uh, allowing us to, to invite smarter people into the room via books and, and teach us something. And
1: also, I, I just want to double click on that point you made of being able to attack maybe a weak point or an area of opportunity for the company, but also to not be attacking it alone, because that's also a part of the entrepreneurial journey. I know your wife's in this with you, but you're feeling often like, you know, the buck stops with you. All the problems end up on, on your desk, or at least the, the hairiest ones. And if you can say hey this is the book that we're reading so that we get better at customer service this is the book that we get reading that we're reading so we get better at direct response marketing then it's you know already through osmosis permeating the organization and you don't have to go implement it from you know first base
0: yeah absolutely i i look at it from a my wife it handles all the money and so she has a very common sense approach to like what things cost because that is something that i am not naturally good at but being married to her for for so long it's kind of like got through my skull of like, Hey, listen, like if you buy a book for 20 some dollars and you have to buy five of them and you pay your employees X amount of, 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 uh, dollars to read them. But that one book allows you to sidestep a problem. Usually a problem is like a 50, $60,000 thing that you've got to go and fix because you've overordered in and merchandise or you've made a bad call and got into something you shouldn't. So really it, when we've looked at these books and, Um, It's it's really just they pay for themselves and you make a ton. You save a ton of money by getting uh, extracting the lessons and and allowing those authors to pay for mistakes that you don't have to make Um, and taking their lessons. And I, I think that it's that being an entrepreneur, there really isn't a school for but you can find other entrepreneurs that, that will write their, their trials and tribulations into their books and into their pages. And you can say, look, I see what they did. I'm not going to do that. Hey guys, let's get together. And what did they do? Let's not do that. And we don't, and it's very, very simple. And it saves us a ton of money because we don't have to, to go through like the, you know, the, uh, the same trench that they went through.
1: People always love book recommendations. Any ones you want to shout out?
0: yeah i mean for somebody that's just starting out um our core like the first book that you'll read in steel city when you're interfacing with customers and we view that everybody's a customer service agent and uh, is raving fans and the reason why i love that book is because it just poses a simple question that if this was your store and you were me and you were the owner what would you want your store to look like so we right out of the gate um we like thin books which uh, say it simply or don't say it at all. And um, that book, it just it says that we want you to think like an entrepreneur, think like this is your store because you've been in stores where it sucks and where people have made you feel invisible or people haven't waited on you or haven't communicated to you and it doesn't feel very good, does it? So what would you want your store to look like? Because this is where you're spending your time. You have an active part to make this store great. And that's, I think raving fans is, is where everybody really should start. That's in, uh, that interfaces with customers. Absolutely. Beautiful.
1: And then in terms of working with your wife, you talked about her being kind of more analytical numbers focused, clearly you kind of own the more design side of the house. What else have you learned? I mean, business partnerships generally, but particularly, uh, common is people to be in business with family in some way, shape or form. What have you learned about managing that?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I take pride in saying that Steel City is family-owned and operated. Both of my brothers are are in the company. Um, my brother runs all of our retail, and my wife is the CFO. And and um, and and it's it's great, honestly. Um, but I think boundaries are obviously the most important thing. It's the most important thing in any relationship. It's cliche, but it's the 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 truth like you have to have very clear this is what we do this is what we don't do this is how we engage each other this is your job this is my job and we hold each other to very high standards but um you know i think going on a personal level i think that family is is dicey it it can go sideways it's not for everyone i don't recommend it because most of the time i've seen it not go well you know i just i think i got lucky in a lot of ways that the chemistry between my family members and and me work but I will say one thing that uh, that I, I have seen that's, that it's a benefit is 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 loyalty. I don't think you're going to find more loyal people than, than your own family. If somebody that you know that, like, look, when the water pipe breaks at 2 a.m. and, you know, you can't get a hold of so-and-so, you know that your family is going to answer that call. You know that they're going to roll up their sleeves and they're going to help and be there. And um, and I think that that's something that, that makes it really special. So it kind of does make a lot of the – the gritty stuff, the stuff that maybe isn't so fun, it, it evens out because you're never going to find anybody more loyal than your family.
1: It's beautiful. You guys are opening up a second location. Tell me about that.
0: Yeah. So that's really exciting. It's been, um, it, it's been way too many years than I care to admit of in development with, you know, COVID and oh my God and everything that's, that's come with building delays and things like that. But finally we have a lease sign. Finally, we're, we're working on building our second location and, um, it's been a, a passion project of mine that's been a long time in, like, just conceptual and creative development because it's not just a rehash of our downtown store uh, just in a new area. It's a completely different experience. Um, our downtown store is based around, like, our team sports and our team city pride and what you kind of know Steel City for. Steel City 2 is is uh, – we're calling it Steel City Garage, and it's a completely – different look. It's a departure from our uh, topics that we talk about there in downtown to it's a concept store that's based around my first job, uh, which was my grandfather's two-bay auto body garage in Turtle Creek. It's where I kind of learned how to be an entrepreneur and learned from my grandfather and grandmother what it meant to be an entrepreneur and see what it looked like to take care of customers and work with your hands and uh, do something that was just uniquely yours and so that was just incredibly nostalgic, but also when I thought about it, I thought that's that's really just a, a great American story that I think anybody can get behind of, kind of you know living that American dream of of building something of your own and and um, and kind of uh, building your your own destiny. And he employed my uncles and uh, built it as a family business, and I just felt like man, I think people could get behind that and really like that. And so we're we're. We're building it in Cranberry, and um, we knocked. Out, we're knocking out a, a whole side of the building and putting a garage door. The branding is very different. Um, it's downtown is based on um, like a 1960s uh, like locker room. This one is going to be a 1960s auto body garage, and it's really exciting. I can't wait to share it with people. I think we're going to we're, we're hoping to be open in May. So, why the 60s? You referenced the 60s for both of those. You know, um, a lot of people thought it was random, and um, it's actually not. Um, the I wish I had a better answer or a bigger answer, but I chose that and design, designed the whole aesthetic based around a photograph. I saw this picture of my grandfather. He was uh, he's a ve- he was a veteran, and um, he got sent over to Germany to kind of clean up after World War II, and. During that time, he was able to pay to have my grandmother come over, and um, it was in 1958, I think, uh, is when they were like kind of rebuilding things over there. And and um, he bought this 1940s Mercedes over there and took my grandmother through like the French Riviera and drove all the way around during his leave, and posted uh, he had my mother had a a photo album of this like time of their life. It was right before he was started the garage and it just seemed so romantic. And the automobiles, the outfits, everything that was kind of that season of their life just seemed very romantic. And I said, I want, I want to, to start there with that. And that's the, the season of my grandfather's life that I want to kind of jump in to tell the story of it. So how um, could you have a
1: better answer than that? That was, well, that was beautiful. It, it, it <laughs> just seems
0: it seems like you have to kind of explain. People are like, "Wait, what? Like, why did? You, was it because you just like the cars from then?" And it's like, "Yeah, it's a whole thing. I I got to sit down and explain it to you. Maybe you need a beer or something like that." So, yeah. Well, um, I I love it. I think that the depth
1: of your answer to that, and I I really do think there's depth to the answer you just gave, is. If, if, I, if I could put my finger as precisely on the through line, like I mentioned, between you, yours and TJ's businesses and any of the places that I walk into that have a feeling of soulfulness when you walk into it's answers like that to so many of the details, not just one, not just the why we're doing this business or the why the coffee's from wherever, but from the ceiling down to the floor the details have all these notes of meaning that some designer put so much into and you'll never unpack all of it, but it is there waiting for you. I think that that is something many entrepreneurs and artists can aspire to. And uh, I think it's something that you are an exemplar of. So I I credit you for that. And I appreciate you um, coming on the podcast before we ask our last questions, anything else you were hoping to share today that I just didn't give you a chance to.
0: Uh, No, um, no, I I appreciate you having me on. Um, If folks can't, make it to
1: one of the stores for wherever they may be located. What digital coordinates can we point people if they want to learn more about you and Steel City? Yeah, you can find us at steelcitybrand.com. Beautiful. We're going to link the website and Instagram and all that good stuff in the show notes for this episode, like we do for every episode of the show. com slash podcast is the place to find it or in the podcast app. You're probably listening to this right now. Before I let you go, Brandon, I would like to give you the mic a final time to issue an actionable challenge to the audience.
0: Yeah, I'd probably say the challenge would be What's one decision that you're putting off? What's one thing that, that you've been maybe circling for a while that maybe you're dragging your feet on? And for me, that's what I usually value the most is when somebody will come into my life and, and give me a challenge to say, hey, look, if it's still on your mind and it's been on your mind for a while, like how do we how do we kind of give you a, a little kick in the pants? How do we give you a little shove towards it? Because maybe that's all we ever really need in life is just to somebody to ask the question of like what what are you holding back on because i think nothing ever good has come in in life from holding back and so i think if it's swirling around your brain it's there for a reason and it's got some stickiness to it so explore it go forward and in the spirit like you said
1: at the beginning of of burning less calories on a decision or something you probably underrate if it is swirling around the back of your head you're underrating the amount of calories or brain space that's actually burning by not being addressed by not being let out yep. and so it's going to be impeding everything else yeah
0: get to it beautiful
1: brandon this has been awesome thank you so much for coming absolutely the podcast. thanks for having me we just went deep with brandon gerback hope not there has a fantastic day Hey, thank you so much for listening to the end of the interview with Brandon. If you enjoyed it and want to check out that interview with TJ Fairchild, it is linked in the show notes for this episode. And make sure you hit subscribe because we've got plenty of great interviews coming soon. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.